I confess that I am definitely as busy as Bethlehem right now in my thoughts and my heart. We truly do need to heed the message of that last song, and thank you, Stuart. What a message of an exhortation to prepare room for the Savior. And to prepare room for our greatest hope, in fact, our only hope, and one that we constantly must wrestle against as we push that hope to the outside, to the outer edges of our hearts. We come up with a bunch of other hopes, set our minds on false hopes, and... I confess this morning that I am at the forefront of that charge of always pushing our hope to the side. So, Father, would you still our hearts, would you still our minds, would you give us peace in the person of Jesus Christ this morning? Would we see that peace in a person? Father, we're grateful for a time historically where the church has, has decided to, to be refreshed on waiting. Lord, as we take a whole month to consider what it means to wait on the Lord, Lord, how we need it. Our hearts this morning, there's no doubt, Lord, are frantically pacing in a thousand different directions. So, Father, from the start, we just confess that. We confess that you need, or we need you to give us peace. Father, we confess that we need You, we need Your Spirit to help us to comprehend the depths of Your love for us, the depths of just exactly what has happened when a son is given and a child is born for us. Father, clear up our busy hearts this morning, our busy minds. Would we focus all of our attention on the Word, and on the Son, on our light, Jesus Christ, this morning. We ask these things in His name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, our text this morning. I'll be bouncing all around, back and forth, but our main two verses to consider this morning are verses 6 and 7 of chapter 9. But I'll begin reading in verse 1. Chapter 9 of Isaiah, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. 
You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Christian faith is one of waiting, is it not? You ever consider just how much the Christian faith is one of us waiting? We are waiting always on something, on deliverance, on help, on a refreshment of hope. We as a people of God who once walked in darkness, thick darkness, but have now seen the light, are a people called to wait. We are called to wait upon the Lord. In Isaiah 8, as Isaiah is given a message from God, a warning not to walk in the way of this people, this people of Judah, this rebellious people, Isaiah is given a message and he responds in verse 17 of chapter 8 and says this, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding His face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in Him. God says, don't fear what they fear, Isaiah. Don't be in dread. Fear the Lord. Let Him be your dread. Honor Him as holy. Set Him apart. Don't call conspiracy all that these people call conspiracy, Isaiah. Don't fear what they fear. Don't fret over what they fret. Trust in the Lord, Isaiah. Trust in me. To trust in God, to hope in God, to have faith in the promises of God, dear church, is to wait. It is to wait and to wait the right way. And you and I, let's be honest, do not care for waiting. We don't want to wait. We don't like to wait. If we can be described as people who hate to wait, you know how our children can be. We don't want to wait for peace. We desire peace right now. We want it now. 
We don't want to wait for justice. We don't want to wait for righteousness. We don't want to wait for comfort. We don't want to wait for prosperity. We don't want to wait for freedom. We want it now. We want it now. We demand it. Almost say. We demand it now. And God tells us all these things about what He's going to do for us and how He's going to take care of us. But my goodness, He's taking forever. We could probably speed this thing up, God. Our hearts are weary. Our hearts are restless. We want peace now. Isn't it much easier to be frustrated with God and His promises being outside of our timetable than it is to truly wait for God and to hope in God? This prophecy, this promise that comes to us in Isaiah 9 is in the midst of utter turmoil. It's chaos. It's, it's fear abounding, war, rumors of war, oppression, unrighteousness, injustices of all kinds. Sound familiar? The people of Judah were hardened to God. They were hardened to His provisions. They were hardened to His purposes. And they were hardened to His rule. We can do better than this, God. See, before we actually get into the text this morning, I'm actually going to flop and put the conclusion at the beginning and talk about this problem of waiting. It is, of course, the season of waiting, right? Of course, it's only a problem, though, if we don't desire to trust God. This problem, if you allow me to call it, of waiting... But this is truly a conundrum. There is a conundrum here. There is a confusion of a connection of waiting and trusting in God. Waiting on the Lord is easy when life is smooth. We have to see that. We have to acknowledge that. That waiting is, in fact, easier when life isn't hard. When life is easy, when life is actually pretty close in line with what you have planned for it to be, waiting is easy because when you wait in life that is as going as planned, you actually know what's coming. You think you do. So life is good may equate to life being easier to wait and hope for God. Waiting is tolerable as long as it doesn't involve any suffering. We can tolerate not having instant gratification. As long as the waiting room isn't filled with a lot of unanswered questions and all of the purposes are clear for us and everything is completely defined and laid out nice and neatly how we would expect it to be delivered to us, as long as we know that there is an answer and that there is a solution to all the problems that arise, I guess we'll be okay to wait. I guess our hearts can manage. But that's not the waiting that Isaiah commits to. 
That is not the waiting that we are called to commit to as the people of God. Describing waiting like this just sounds like we are just surviving, right? We're just bearing something. We're just putting up with, we're just getting by, we're just just lasting. We're just hanging on by a thread. That's what it must mean to wait. Despite not going as planned in this life, we're just holding on. We're just holding on. But to wait, dear church, is to hope in Him and to hope in His promises. This morning in Sunday school, we started Exodus. The people of Israel were slaves for 400 years. 400 years of slavery. God's promises to Abraham surely aren't going to ever happen. 400 years. That was nobody's timetable except for the Lord's. Waiting, dear church, is to hope in Him and to believe His promises. It is to long for Him as your sure joy and satisfaction to to eagerly and wildly anticipate your Savior Jesus Christ and the satisfaction that will be yours in Him. It is to believe it. To anticipate this consummation that is that final and complete fulfillment of God's kingdom promises. It is to hope in that. It is so much further past the temporary. To anticipate it with great expectation. Like you know and believe it will happen. It will happen. And to wait anxiously and to wait impatiently as we are so, so prone to do. And to wait frantically for God's purposes to get in line with our purposes. For God to get in line with our plans for our life of ease, for our life of liberty to do what we please, for our pursuit of happiness, is to not wait on God, church. But to wait with all hope in His promises. To wait on with all hope that what He says will come to pass will truly come to pass despite what our current circumstances may fool us into thinking, despite our long, perhaps very long, ongoing afflictions that we experience in this lifetime, despite of lack, the lack of understanding of God's on, or of His infinite purposes, despite all that... Despite what He's going to bring us to in this life, and what He's going to bring us through in this life, despite what He may have in store for our children and our children's children, to wait, you actually have to believe 
We have to believe He's in control. Not just know together that He's in control, church, but to believe that God is in control. We need to wait by believing. Church, we start with the end of verse 7 in chapter 9 as we consider this passage and its context and even our context. What does that last sentence of verse 7 say? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It is the zeal of the Lord which will accomplish His purposes. The zeal of the Lord will do this. This is confidence in which we wait, church. This is our confidence. He is going to make all things new. People in in Egypt waited 400 years. We've been waiting over 2,000 years for His second coming. And we are still waiting, not hanging on by a thread, church, but believing that what He actually says He will do, He will do. This is our confidence, church, that the radical, on-fire, passionate commitment of the Lord to make it happen will indeed bring glory to His name and will rescue a people from their sins. To pour love out on a rebellious people. To save them. That He would be glorified. It's going to happen, brothers and sisters. And friends here today, believe this. God is in control. We know it, most of us here. We need to believe it and to wait as we believe it. In this season of Advent where we refresh ourselves on just exactly what we're supposed to be waiting like and how we're supposed to waiting, please, please, please make this connection. Make this connection, church. The fervent zeal of the Lord to accomplish His purposes and your need to actually believe it. Not just know it, but to believe it. And I can't force you to believe. No preacher, teacher of God's Word can actually force you to believe that God is truly in control of all things as we exhort you to wait, as we exhort you to hope. But I can point you to the relevance of this prophecy centuries ago that ended with this statement in verse 7. God's going to do it. His zeal will carry it through. And church, let's actually believe it. Let's believe it together as we wait. Instead of just knowing it together, church, let's actually believe it together. As we continue to wait through all that He's brought into our lives and into our little blip in time. And remember that, church. This is a small, small, small centimeter on the tape measure of time. Just what exactly is it that we are supposed to believe? What exactly is supposed to be the fuel 
of our faith, of our waiting. Just what is it during yet another time of Advent, another time of Christmas that we're supposed to to believe? Verse 6. Verse 6 of chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the midst of thick darkness, in the midst of desperate times, in the midst of a time where a great hero is needed, a time of distress and gloom of anguish, as 8.22 says. Isaiah describes something for us. We've been given a gift. We've been given a gift. What does Isaiah say? He says, we've been given a mighty, valiant, fearless warrior of a man. No. He says, you've been given a child. For unto you, for unto us, for you, here is a child. We're given a child. We're given a baby. In the midst of gloom and anguish. There's this shift from darkness to light. There is this new hope. Notice in your Bible this series of fours. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6. We have these verses starting with this four. For the yoke of His burden... The staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. Verse 5, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment. Verse 6, for to us a child is born. Now look at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when when they divide The spoil, the nations are multiplied. Joy is increased because the darkness and stress are no more. Verse 1, it says, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. Verse 4, 5, those fours that we see, those fours explain to us just what this darkness was and what this light is that has now shone. Verse 4, this yoke of his burden, this staff, this rod of the oppressor, this is the darkness of our sinfulness and all that it leads to in this society together, in this world together, in this humanity. This is darkness, utter thick darkness. Darkness that exists because of the sinfulness of humanity. This is our helplessness to escape our own sinfulness and the burden it is that absolutely crushes mankind. But it's going to be broken. It's going to be broken. The burden will be lifted. Victory will be won over what seems to be an impossible battle with sinfulness and everything that flows out of our sinfulness and all of the consequences of our sinfulness, all of the injustice, all of the unrighteousness, all of the restlessness and no peace. And he said they're going to be broken 
Like on the day of Midian. You remember Midian, don't you? Don't you remember the story of Gideon? Gideon shows up with these thousands of men and God goes through this series and says, No, we're getting it down to 300 men. And we're going to get down to 300 men who are going to take down the Midianites and they're going to do it with trumpets. And the scriptures say that the Midianites were like locusts in abundance. The hills were filled with the Midianites and other, and other uh, uh, enemies. And their camels were more than the sand of the sea. And 300 uh, of men with, with Gideon marched in and with trumpets, God defeats the Midianites. He says it's going to be like that. These people would have known that story. They would have been in awe of this story, surely, if we were to recall it. That God is going to give victory over what seems to be impossible. He is going to break the bonds of sin. He's going to break it. That rod of oppression. The yoke will be broken. In verse 5, the boots and garments needed for war will be of no use anymore. This losing fight with the fallenness of humanity and all the consequences that come with it will be ended. This fighting and destroying each other that was in the time here of Isaiah, it will end prosperity and peace only. There will be no need for clothing for battle, no need for that which we take into war. It will all cease. There will be peace only. To those in the gloom of anguish. What a wonderful thing. No more burdens or oppression. No more war. There will be peace. Someone's going to come in. Right? Someone's going to come in and they're going to have to use their force. They're going to have to be violent to end violence. They're going to have to use their power and set things straight. Wrong unto us. A child is born. A helpless babe in the wisdom of God will be born. Will be Given to us. What wisdom of God, church? What a magnificent plan that God would save the world by sending a baby to bring the Savior of the world to the world to be Emmanuel, God with us, not as a grown warrior, but as a child is glorious. It's glorious. To see that with the eye of faith is truly glorious, church. But to look at it with the eyes of doubt, to look at it with doubt and fear in your heart still, as King Ahaz did in Isaiah chapter 7, we kind of step back, cock our heads to the side and say, Really, God? Child? Your great 
plan to bring prosperity and peace and end our suffering and give us our great freedom to take away the yoke is going to be from a baby? Take a skeptical look and say, how is this going to work? We need something else. We need someone else. Someone besides a child. Someone powerful. Someone bold. Give us power and strength over our enemies. Sure, we as Christians know better than to think like that about the babe in a manger. To think that he isn't the answer. We know better. We know the Sunday school answer that Jesus is the answer. We know that He is the Savior. We know that He will make all things right. Of course Jesus is the answer. We would all confess together, church. Yet oftentimes in the practical everyday living of our lives, we're hoping for something or someone just a little bit better and a little bit more on board with our agenda and our hopes. We need somebody a little bit bigger and badder than the baby in a manger. Yeah, Jesus. But right now, we need a political Savior. Yeah, the Gospel. But right now, we need some actual practical good news. Yeah, God's purposes, but what about the here and now security? Yeah, God's in control, but it's easier for us to trust ourselves. In our yeah, but living, we are showing our unbelief, church, that God is in control and we are waiting on Him. We truly are like King Ahaz of Judah in Isaiah 7. It says he was shaking like the trees in a windy forest because he heard that they were going to be attacked. God sends Isaiah to King Ahaz and says, Tell him that it's not going to happen. It's not going to come to pass. I'm going to protect you. And Ahaz in his fear and unbelief says, I don't believe it. I don't care what God says. Yeah, God of us. Yeah, God with us, but... God sends Isaiah to say, Ahaz, wake up! God is for you! It will not come to pass. Don't let your heart be faint, he says. Don't fear. And then Isaiah tells Ahaz in verse 9 of chapter 7, If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. You see that, chapter 7? If you're not firm in your faith, King Ahaz, you will not be firm at all. In other words, if you won't believe, then you won't be able to stand. 
If you won't wait by believing, you will not be firm. You live in unbelief to the truth. If you live in unbelief to the promises of God, 4,000 years to come, 1,000 years to come, over 2,000 years to come, whatever, you will cave to fear every time. Church, friends here today, believe God and believe His Word. This Jesus who humbly came to the world, not just taking on human flesh, but starting that human fleshly life as a baby, and then living a life in perfect obedience and humility, leading to a humble giving of His life on a criminal's cross. This Jesus, church, is our answer both theologically and practically. And just because our timelines don't jive with the timeline of God, just because this peace, this removal of oppression, and this establishing of justice and righteousness is taking an awful long time, God, it doesn't correlate to what we actually see and experience. It says this is going to happen, and it's as sure as it's going to happen in this language. But just because you don't see it and it's taking forever on your timeline doesn't mean that we need a yeah, Jesus, but something or someone else too. It means when we don't understand, church, we need to believe. We need to trust. We need to be firm in our faith of the promises of God. Believe that the zeal of the Lord will do it. The zeal and the commitment of the Lord to His own glory will do it. I mean, the surety of this prophecy. Look at how sure of a thing this prophecy is. Look at the tense of this language. This is spoken of as like the, the, prof, the prophetic uh, perfect. This tense is like a past tense. Like it's already happened. This is how sure it is that it will happen. He has made glorious the way of the sea. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. You have broken the, 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 the staff and the burden and the yoke. You have done this already is how Isaiah speaks in this. This tense of, it's as sure as it's already happened. This child, none other than King Jesus, will uphold a perfect government, a perfect kingdom. He will be a perfect king. He will be a perfect leader. He will be a perfect governor. And he governments... Any rule of authority that you've ever been under will pale in comparison. The greatest leaders of our time, the most righteous that you can think of, has ruled horribly compared to the rule of King Jesus. His name in verse 6 shall be called Wonderful 
counselor. Would you like a wonderful counselor leading us today? Extraordinarily wise is what this means. The source of wisdom. A counselor that we are standing back in and being in awe of. Wonderful counselor. Wow, I didn't know someone could be this wise and we could profit so much from it. Mighty God, El Gibor, strong. We have a strong leader. We have a strong governor of our hearts, of our kingdom. He is the source of all strength. He is powerful and He is able. Nothing will be a hindrance to Him. This is a name given to this child. We even have the name Everlasting Father for this child. This leader will be wise, he will be powerful, but he will be compassionate and he will be tender leading us as we are children to the great and eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Peace under His rule will be eternally constant. There will be no disruption of peace. Hard for us to imagine, I know. Hard for us to fathom that it's actually going to happen one day. But He will rule and reign in perfect peace. And to that peace, there will be no end. There will be no turmoil in our hearts, church. There will be no anxiety in our hearts, in our breathing patterns, in that tightness of our chest. There will be peace only. Believe His promises. No, we are nowhere close in what we see right now and what we experience to this being fully realized. Our society is a long way off of this perfection of a kingdom and this perfection of a governor, this leader, this king. But but church, you can take it to the bank and submit right now to the governor, to the king of kings, that his rule and reign in your life is perfect and worthy of submission. While we wait for this to finally and ultimately be a reality, we believe even now, even in the midst of things we don't understand, even in the midst of things that we cannot explain, that the all-wise, all-powerful, eternal, compassionate King Jesus has accomplished everything necessary for our complete rescue from our bondage of sin to secure our eternal joy, our eternal rest and peace. He has secured it all. He has accomplished it all. It's all in Him in church. He finished it up on the cross. He finished it up on the cross. 
He started by becoming one of us, Emmanuel, God with us. Church, He has not abandoned us here in 2021, nor will He abandon us in 2022. Stand firm in your faith and the trusting of God's promises. Submits to the kingship of the perfect, wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ, as the Spirit turns you over and over and over again back to look at the person of Jesus Christ. Turn and look to Him. Fall in unbelief? Turn. Gaze again. On the person of Jesus Christ. Turn even now to that wonderful Christmas promise that we see prophesied about in 714. Ahaz just wasn't going to do it. The Lord says, Ahaz, ask for any sign, I'll give it to you. And Ahaz is like, no, I'm not going to even do that. I'm not even going to ask to you, God, to show me a sign. It's how much Ahaz was shaking in his boots with unbelief. And God says, all right, I'll give you a sign then. I'll do it myself. The strangest thing if we don't know Scripture. Behold, therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Take that for a sign that this evil, this oppression will not ultimately come to pass. We see that prophecy fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. That's what that means. God is with us. He is with us, church. We jump to Isaiah 11, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, this Emmanuel, this God with us, this Jesus, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the wonderful counselor, the Spirit of counselor and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. Faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all My holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Church, it's going to happen. 
And we're going to live in a peaceful paradise for eternity. And until then, I have no idea what He's going to bring us to and bring us through. But you can rest assured that great is His faithfulness. Let's believe it, church. Let's believe it as we continue to ask God to help us wait better. Let's believe it as we go into a new year of uncertainty. Let's believe it together and wait on the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, our wonderful, everlasting King, what grace You have given to us that we may hope in You. Lord, we need Your help daily. Minute by minute, Lord, we need Your help. It would be nice to say, I didn't respond like King Ahaz from time to time. Lord, we know that isn't the case. Yet even as I push away from you and say, I don't even want a sign, you are faithful to say, here's your sign then, it's Jesus Christ, look to Him. Father, what glorious truth we live in light of that light has shone into the darkness. Lord, how good it is to know that darkness cannot dwell with the light. Lord, make your people a humble, thankful, hopeful people. In Jesus Christ and Him alone and all promises that in Him find their yes and amen. Guide your people to joy, increase it. Guide us to that King of peace. Strengthen us, Lord, as we long, as we desire, as we wait even now for that second coming of our great King. Make strong our shaking legs. Lord, help us recognize that yoke of burden is off of our shoulders. You've crushed it. And you desire to rule and reign even now in our hearts. God, make it so. Strengthen us, God. Amen.